Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Peace be with you. Uh, my name is Dodds, and I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series in the book of Galatians, and what we have seen from our author, the Apostle Paul, is that he wrote letters to defend and clarify the Christian gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so today, in this particular passage, Paul is defending and clarifying the gospel by telling the Galatians that if they live by the Spirit and put their flesh to death, they will enjoy the kingdom of God in their midst, the kingdom that we all want. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, when I was a sophomore at uh, TCU, I... Uh, helped start a fraternity on campus. Is that shocking to anybody? Um, but I was really, I was really desperate to belong to something, and to be invited into this particular group of men at that time gave a gave me just a, a real, a real boost to my pride. Uh, it felt exclusive. It felt unique. Um, I thought, I, this is me feeling more in than I've ever felt before. Um, and it felt really exclusive that first year because here we are, 50, you know, 50, 19 year olds, uh, not knowing what we're doing, but enjoying every minute of it because we're all in this together. But that next fall, we had a new class of students that we called neophytes. I'm sorry about that. Um, we didn't like pledges. We thought that that was lesser than, so we went with Anyway, when those brothers came in and they were they were going through the process of joining fraternity, we all felt like these these guys aren't in yet. Let's wait a little bit longer. They hadn't been through what we've been through. They hadn't pioneered a fraternity. They hadn't they hadn't done the things that we had done to be real pie caps. They're not in like we're in. And they felt that from us. They, they felt us requiring them to prove themselves to us in some way. And it was this really weird relationship where they envied our status, but we resented their lack of commitment, apparently, and their, or their inability to prove themselves. And all it did was it brought tension, it brought infighting, it brought jealousy, it brought a lot of anger. And it completely broke what we had. It broke down our community, it broke down our brotherly fellowship. We were so worried about losing what we had that we wouldn't share it with anybody. Now, the context that Paul is writing to, writing into, is not much different than that. Because what, we, what we're looking in on is these religious elitists were propagating a culture of insiders and outsiders. And it was threatening, it was threatening their communal life, their communal flourishing. And Paul writes now, in this portion of his letter, a warning. He's warning them of what is at stake, what they are at, at risk of losing if they continue to go in this direction. So in these 12 verses in particular, Paul is using a literary technique called the chiasm. 
And what he's employing that to do is to draw our attention to a central idea in the text. If you'll notice, looking at the text, that the first verse, verse 15, and the last verse, verse 26, are kind of a mirror of one another. They say roughly the same things. If you go down uh, from, from verse uh, 15, if you come up from verse 26, you'll see that the same goes for 16 and 25, 17 and 24, 18 and 23, as we get closer and closer to the center of those verses. The central idea that Paul is drawing our attention to is found in verse 21. This is what is at stake. He's telling them this is what you are going to lose if you go this direction of creating camps of people who are in and who are out. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's telling them this is what's at stake. The promised kingdom of God is the very thing that you want and it's the very thing you're in danger of losing by creating your exclusive club. And with this structure, Paul is saying there's a central importance to the kingdom, but it's surrounded by two ways that we live as a people, and it will affect if the kingdom comes. Well, perhaps many of us, we've heard the kingdom of God, and we hear that phrase, the kingdom of God, maybe it's a vision of the heaven that we'll enjoy one day after we've left this earth. But Jesus himself in the Gospel of Luke actually described the kingdom of God as a reality that can dwell in our midst right now, today. Something that we can enjoy now. So in this passage, Paul is answering the question, he draws our attention to this promised kingdom that the Judaizers like, you don't want to lose this. And he's telling us, you don't want to lose this either, church. That if the kingdom, he's answering this question, if the kingdom of God were truly to come into our midst, the way that Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, what would it look like? Now last week, as Drew highlighted, it would look like faith working through love. And it would bear, according to this piece of scripture, this portion, it would bear specific perceivable fruit. Namely, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This promised kingdom is what brings these things. Living this way is what actually brings and bears this fruit as we work through faith in love. Faith working through love, the perceivable fruit of this new kingdom is enjoyed by all. Or to put it another way, the kingdom in our midst would look like walking in step with the Spirit. It would lead to all our desires for community and care and sharing to be fulfilled and enjoyed. The world that we would all want, where everyone is living in a self-giving love that is patient and kind and controlled and gentle and good full of joy. But Paul says, here's, here's the problem. There is something that is going to get in the way of that. There's something that's going to keep us from that reality. It's going to keep the kingdom from coming, or it's at risk to keep the kingdom from coming. And what he calls it, he terms it is the works of the flesh. Now, 
The flesh that he's talking about is not our body, but it is the internal bent of our whole person, of our mind, our body, our spirit. It's our bent towards what he terms as epithumia. Epithumia, which means a super desire or an over desire, an all intense and eagerness desire for something, a desire that rules us in totality. So Paul is telling, Paul says, this is the problem with all human life, is this epithemia, our over desire. And that it's not just an inordinate desire for the bad things. Because we can look at this list and say, wow, drunken orgies, not good. I mean, not, you know, it's not going to lead to all of our flourishing. So maybe we can look at that and say, okay, that isn't going to go well. But he's also saying it's not just our inordinate desires for those darker things, but also for the, for the best things in life. We can want too much the good things and it can undo life. So Paul brings this up because this is what this is what the false teachers were doing to fellow brothers. So you have these false teachers that were Jewish Christians standing in front of Gentile converts that were not Jewish, and they were saying, yeah, you have Jesus, but you need more than that. You need to be circumcised and you need to adhere to the dietary restrictions. So they were doing this to fellow brothers. They were, they were like high caps standing in front of new brothers and saying, I don't know, not quite, not yet. They're provoking Gentile brothers by requiring circumcision for them to truly be in. See, the, the Judaizers, the false teachers, their over-desire for an exclusive camp was keeping the kingdom from being enjoyed by all. They were so worried about losing what they had that they needed to keep it exclusive. That's really what's going to protect it. Paul's saying, no, you don't get how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is meant to be shared. That's what brings it in. That's what escorts it in, is the sharing of it, not the hoarding of it. And they were injuring their own brothers. So Paul and the Holy Spirit have testified that in Christ there is one worldwide, history-long family. And the Judaizers and the false teachers were creating an exclusive group to create, no, there's not one camp, there are two camps. Those who are in, those who are out. They were creating this upper echelon of insiders. They were saying, you can't be in Jesus alone. More needs to happen. So these false teachers, by emphasizing the work of the flesh, by saying you have to do something, circumcision, in order to be in, they were actually inciting further works of the flesh, which Paul lists out. So it was like, by creating an exclusivity, they were inciting envy and rivalry and selfish ambition and dissension, division. Think about it. Think about what happened. Think about what happened to the pie caps, right? It, it ruined everything for us to make it so exclusive. 
but it resulted in further destruction of relationships and thusly their community. So these over-desires were leading to the snuffing out of the kingdom. That's why Paul is warning them against this idea of biting and devouring and consuming, all these really kind of just voracious words provoking an envy. He's saying that when a desire becomes a super desire, even a desire for something good, when it becomes a super desire, an, an epithemia, we will turn on each other. He said, when our over-desires rule, we turn into cannibals. And we bite each other, and we injure each other, and then we consume one another, we eat one another. We become less than human, we become animals. And we turn to our base flesh instincts and begin to devour anyone who stands in our way. Don't we look out into our world? Just think about the last year. The election of 2016. Charlottesville. The racial tension. We've had an incredible year in our country but I think what we've seen is an incredible year in our world. We see that everywhere there's exclusivity, where there are camps of who's in and who's out, there are people, there's cannibalism. But isn't it interesting that when Harvey hit Houston, that in all the outpouring of the world, that in our city's worst week, that Houston was probably the best place to live. Because it was the kingdom of God, self-giving, people pouring themselves out. I wonder if during this week and last week, if you asked anyone on the street in Houston, can you tell me about the racial tension going on now? People would say, no, I don't feel it. Feel it. People saw Houston, people see Houston, maybe even now, and say, wow, maybe that's a great place to live. Maybe that's a great place to live. Maybe that's where I want to live the rest of my life. Most of us can take a look at these, these lists of work, works of the flesh at some level, at multiple levels, and see them in the world, in our lives. Jealousy, self-ambition, hostility, making, making enemies of the people, of particular people. Jealousy, which is a hungry ego. Fits of anger, which just short fuses. Drinking to excess, uncontrolled sexuality, picking fights on purpose, unable to be happy about other people's success. Standing apart from others, This is what Paul, gosh, says this is what the undoing of the kingdom looks like. It's all about self. It's all about self-protection. There's something in that that's so crucial to notice that all in this list is self-affection. We too create camps like the Judaizers over 
our over-desires within our homes, within our parishes, within even our church body. And the camps we create usually have that same feel. Who is in and who is out? And I think at Sojourn, given our, our age, both how long we've been planted, but also how old we are as a, as a very congregation, we are probably most susceptible to creating camps of over creating camps of over-desire through envy, jealousy, rivalry, and anger. But I think it would be good for us to spend maybe just a few minutes talking about this word dissension. Because I think maybe we can probably see these things too in our body. The word for dissension here means to overemphasize anything that would make me stand apart from you all or you from me. Anything that would make us stand apart from our church body, our parish. Anything that would have me saying, the rest of you are not like me. Or this is what divides me from the rest of you. Or I have a better understanding of this and others do not. So dissension, it may sound like this. The reason I can't be part of this parish is because I'm married and so many of the people in this parish are single. (coughs) Now if that's you, I would encourage you to consider that similar life stage is not where deep belonging is enjoyed. It's just not. It's in Christ. It's in Jesus. And I'd also encourage you, if that's you, to take the prayer requests and the needs of the single people in your parish seriously. Because they really are needs. Maybe this is you. The reason I have to leave this church and this parish is because I'm biblically knowledgeable, but I'm surrounded by immature people. If that's you, I would just remind you that Christ is infinitely more knowledgeable than you. But he is kind, and he is patient, and he is loving. And he has called you to image the Father in your care for younger Christians and for younger people. In fact, you have a responsibility to do so. Maybe you, maybe you would say, I'm looking for a different parish because I'm older and being surrounded by only young people, I realize that I need to be around people my own age. And whether you're a little bit older or you are an elder statesman in our church, I would just, I would want, just, I want you to see that this is church's family. And maybe you are the dads and the grandparents. Please share your wisdom. Share your life with people who have not lived as long. It will be wonderful for you and for those in front of you. Maybe the reason we need to find a new community is because no one seems to be as committed as we are. If that's you, I would say that you're in great company with the prophets and leaders in the scriptures who were willing to pour out their lives for less committed people Bless your parish with your commitment. You image you imaged our God in doing that. But interestingly enough, in all of these, at least in just in these four examples, in all, the, the mantra may be, I want others to be more like me. But that doesn't create kingdom peace. And that doesn't usher in the kingdom 
See, the Lord is creating a diverse church, and not just in different colors, but young and old, married and unmarried. Children with no children, blue collar, white collar, varying histories, varying family upbringings, rich, poor, church background, no church background. That's diversity in every sense of the word. Right? Such a benefit. Such a benefit. The more diverse, the more kingdom enjoyment. But I will say that if you are, if, if, if dissension is, is something that you struggle with, of I am not like the rest of you, or you are not like me, but I would just tell you, don't leave your parish gathering and drive home while just sitting and entertaining these thoughts. Talk to someone in your parish. Talk to someone in the community and fight the misconceptions together. Stop believing that your discontentment is justifiable. You are, you should fight. But you don't have to fight alone. For the sake of the community and the church, please talk about it. To do so is a kindness and it's exercising patience, which is pursuing kingdom fruit. Think of Think about it this way. If you stay quiet about your struggles, you can reserve the right to stay resentful and angry, which sounds wonderful. Um, But if you talk to someone, then you have an opportunity to grow by the Spirit's power in patience and goodness. But like Paul said, Paul is telling us that the flesh is is pro-self and anti-kingdom. The spirit is anti-self and pro-kingdom. Like Paul said, our biggest problem is is our epithumia. Our biggest need now, the Judaizers' biggest need, was for transformation. The Judaizers were saying to the Gentiles that you are going to change. You will be transformed through circumcision. And Paul says, no, we will all be transformed by the spirit. And Paul says the only way to transform, the only way that we can fight against over-desires, the only way to encourage the kingdom to come is to end our over-desires. And there's only one place to do that, according to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul says the only hope that we have for real kingdom living and transformation is to take our over-desires, what we have put as the most important desires in our lives, and we have to take them to the cross where they can end so that the kingdom can come. Paul is saying, take your desires to the cross. That phrase, have crucified, it's past tense and active. Already and ongoing. That means that Jesus did crucify all of our over-desires on the cross. And he's still doing it. It's a once and for all and ongoing. So in order for us to bring these lusts to an end, these over-desires, 
We have to look at our over-desires in light of the cross. What we believe we have to have to matter, to be accomplished, to be respected, to look at the things in our life that are too important to us. Friends, respect, success, looks, safety, security, meaning, worth, ability, significance. We have to see Jesus Christ dying for us and all of our over-desires on the cross. We have to see our over-desires and look at him dying for them. And in dying for us, and in dying for for these sins, taking the punishment for these sins, but then sharing everything with us so that we would be freed from that over-desire. Because he becomes our fulfillment. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was willing to die for us, to love us as his neighbor, so he set aside his desires to protect his own life, and it meant that the kingdom would come. If he values us so much that he would take on all of our sinful over-desires and pay for them with his death, why must we over-desire this thing if he has given us himself fully? In fact, anything that we would be after in our over-desiring is provided in his death and resurrection. Significance, meaning, worth, value, family, So in this repeated discipline of crucifying our lusts, we walk in step with the Spirit to usher the kingdom in. And according to Paul, if we walk in step with the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the kingdom we want will be enjoyed. So as we bring our over-desires to the cross, and we see a Savior that was gladly willing to take our sin as his own, We will cherish Jesus all the more, be fulfilled by him all the more, the one whom the Spirit longs to glorify and form us into, and more and more we will let go of those over-desires, and what will result is the fruit of the Spirit will be birthed in our lives repeatedly by the Spirit's power. And then we get to lay our lives down for others as we enjoy the coming of the kingdom. God. The fruit of the Spirit, which is opposed to the desires of the flesh, what that means is that it will not destroy, the fruit of the Spirit will not destroy community, but it will build and sustain community because it will usher in the kingdom. The fruit of the flesh is meant for self-affection. The fruit of the Spirit is meant for communal affection. In fact, Every you in this passage, every Y-O-U in this passage, save one, is plural. I've read this passage as how we grow on our own. But all these plural yous, I don't think we can do that anymore. Now we do grow in fruit of the Spirit individually, but we are also growing in the fruit of the Spirit Corporately, That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. That as we attain the knowledge of the Son of God, that we grow up into the fullness and stature and measure of Christ together. 
our growth in the fruit of the Spirit, our growth as a body is a corporate growth. It is, it is a corporate growth. We grow together. And it makes sense because I can't be loving, patient, kind, or gentle on my own. Actually, it's, that's a benefit. Loving and being patient is a benefit for others. It's, it's meant to be a benefit for others. And it means that as we walk in the Spirit, by the Spirit's power, we'll be able to respond with goodness, patience, kindness in the most tense and difficult of moments. When someone uses us for their own ambition or lies to us or hurts us on purpose. But sojourn, we do well to be patient with each other while trusting the Lord to do His work because fruit, by its nature, grows slowly. But it does grow. does grow. And I think it's important to say that it's fruit and not fruits of the Spirit. Fruit, singular. Meaning that they're all connected. You can't look at this list and say, well, I'm really kind, but I love people. Really? doesn't work. They are linked. If I'm patient, my patience is a loving patience. It is a gentle patience. It is a kind patience. It's a joyful patience. Growth is inevitable, though, because the Spirit is at work. But there is no other camp in Christ. And as a family, we will not create any other camps to bring about works of the flesh. There is no exclusivity. We are in Christ. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3, verse 11. He here... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And Sinclair Ferguson said this about our unity with Christ in the body. He said, what Paul is saying here is how you mortify sin in your flesh to other members of the fellowship. You look to Christ who is in all, and then when you have seen this Christ, you think this and no other Christ is the one who dwells in the poorest and meanest of my brothers and sisters in the fellowship into which God has introduced me and if Christ is not ashamed to indwell them I will not be slow to embrace them. In Christ you have been freed to look for and see Christ in other people in your parish. To look for him and find him in every person who is in Christ in your parish. From the poorest to the meanest. From the most awkward to the most relaxed. In Christ we have been yeah, we can respond to the works of the flesh in our brothers and sisters with the spirit of gentleness by the fruit of the spirit. We can respond to works of the flesh with fruit of the spirit, not with more works of the flesh. In Christ, we don't have to take as such an idealized view of the community that we want. We can celebrate the community that the Lord has provided for us. 
The real one in front of us, not the one we're hoping for that isn't there. We can ask the Lord to give us eyes to see him in the midst of his people. So Sojourn, I want to close very quickly here. Take heart. Take heart. The Spirit is here by the work of Christ through faith. He is at work. He made a promise. He said, I'm going to finish the work I start. I'm going to make you look more like Jesus individually and corporately. We can trust him. As we bring our epithemia, our over-desires to the cross, Jesus will be enjoyed, and as we walk in step with the Spirit and enjoy Jesus, the Spirit will bear fruit in this body and in these parishes. And as we live and walk by the Spirit who exalts Christ, we will see the kingdom come in our midst, and we will enjoy a self-giving kingdom that images our great King and Savior. And when the kingdom comes in our midst, others will see it and say, Maybe that's a great place to live. Let me pray for this. Father, we're grateful for your finished work on the cross that affords us every freedom that is worth having. And yet you are our king, our ruler. Lord, it is good to be by a strong, wise, kind, and awe-inspiring God. It settles us that you are so infinite. It settles us that you are so powerful. It settles us that you are so long-suffering and patient. Lord, make by your by your spirit through the applied work of Christ. Make us a kingdom-pursuing people, a kingdom-enjoying people today, right now. To see that in Christ, everything that we would pursue on our own has been secured and shared with us. And the very one who called us to himself, that knowing that we have all that we would pursue on our own in Christ, we are free to share everything we have with one another and those outside of this body to enjoy kingdom living, not when we die, but now and forever. God, maybe for your name that you would that you would use a picture of Harvey to say it could be even better than that in this weird paradoxical way that during a natural disaster that we would actually say this might be the best place to live. How will you, for your good pleasure, would you Help us to bring our over desires to the cross, to watch them die. And by your spirit, birth fruit that is kind, love, and self-controlled. 